This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome uh, teacher and author Neil Yetwin to the program. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Neil Yetwin was a teacher at uh, Schenectady High School, history teacher, and he's written a book called To My Son, The Life and War Remembrances of Captain Mordecai Myers. And the war we're talking about is the War of 1812. And years later, the uh, Mordecai Myers became mayor of the city of Schenectady. How did you get interested in this topic? Well, when we first moved to Schenectady from Massachusetts, uh, and I was hired to teach in the Schenectady City Schools, someone kind of offhandedly uh, told me that Schenectady at one time had a Jewish mayor, and I thought that was mildly interesting. Uh, it was not an unheard of thing for that to occur in the 19th century, a little bit unusual, but not completely unusual. And uh, I didn't really make too much of it. And um, I started to look into it a little bit. It turns out he was mayor in 1851 and then again in 1854. They were one-year terms. But what really grabbed my attention I was doing a short piece uh, for the uh, Schenectady Gazette about a gentleman named Louis Lurie, who had a department store here in Schenectady as well as in Amsterdam. And when I spoke to him, he was in his 80s. And uh, at one time, he had been on the committee overseeing the cemetery at uh, Congregation Gates of Heaven, which is the oldest uh, Jewish congregation in Schenectady. And uh, I asked him at the end of our interview, and it was about his role, uh, it was about Mr. Lurie's role in getting uh, Jewish refugees situated with jobs and housing after World War II. But just as, a, as an aside, I said, do you know anything about this, uh, this gentleman, um, Mordecai Myers? And he was a little bit startled, and he kind of pointed his finger at me and said, well, I can tell you one thing, he's not buried in our cemetery. And he got <laughs> a little bit agitated about that. And I thought in that moment that I was hearing an echo of some sort of a controversy, and I wasn't sure what it was at the time, but uh, that piqued my interest, and I started doing research about Myers, uh, kind of piecemeal, whenever I had time, I'd write a letter here or there, and uh, started to piece together uh, the puzzle that became what turns out to be a very long and uh, interesting life. How about that? Well, certainly that's a very familiar name to me. The other name, Lurie, because uh, you know I'm from Amsterdam, and uh, Lurie's uh, department store was uh, well known back in the heyday of of the mills. Uh, since you brought it up, I mean, what was the problem with uh, the, that congregation and Mordecai Myers? Well, it turns out that uh, Congregation Gates of Heaven, which was incorporated here. In 1856, actually, the congregation started in the late 1840s meeting in people's homes until they started to move into storefronts and then were able to build their own building. Uh, It turns out that um, they established their own cemetery in 1857, and uh, Mordecai Myers had become friendly with one of the principal players at Congregation Gates of Heaven, and um, they had much in common. uh, And... uh, he, I think, toward the end of his life, uh, started to think that maybe despite uh, a life where he had been married to a non-Jewish woman and had uh, eight out of ten surviving children, all of whom were raised as Episcopalians, my impression was he started to have some feelings of being back in contact with his community. 
and spoke to this gentleman about maybe being buried in the Jewish cemetery. But in the end, his children, of course, took precedent, and he is buried, buried in Vale Cemetery. Ah, and it seemed that so there was some, some sort of a – I saw some anecdotal evidence that there was a little bit of a conflict between the congregation and the Myers children over this. Mm-hmm. So and it wasn't so much Mordecai Myers as his offspring uh, when it came time to, to, to bury the man. Mm-hmm. Now, he did not – I mean, he came to Amsterdam rather late in life. Where Where is he originally from, and uh, when was he born? Well, he was born in uh, 1776. Uh, his parents, uh, who were Benjamin and uh, Rachel Myers, originally came from Hungary and Austria. They left at, uh, during the reign of uh, Maria Theresa, who was the mother of Marie Antoinette. And Maria Theresa was cracking down uh, both on uh, Jews and uh, Lutherans and any dissidents in the Habsburg Empire. And they began to come up with some very uh, repressive legislation. And so the Myers left. Uh, they went through Holland and eventually ended up uh, in New York City, where they were in contact with uh, the uh, members of the, uh, the Jewish community there that had been established for more than a century. They arrived in 1654. The Myers arrived in New York in 1757. Uh, when it became clear that uh, the couple may have been having some difficulty, they couldn't speak English when they got here and didn't really have uh, any skills to speak of, uh, some of the uh, merchants there decided to set up a trading post in what was then Phillips Manor, now part of Yonkers, about 20 miles from Manhattan, and they sent the couple there to run a trading post. And the reason that we know that they're in Phillips Manor is because they had their eldest son, Benjamin Jr., was born there in 1758, and there is a list of children who were circumcised at Phillips Manor, um, not just at Phillips Manor, but a list of children who were circumcised in the New York area by one gentleman who was performing these circumcisions, and he was at Phillips Manor in December of 1758. So we know that they were there about a year or two. And after that, they moved to Newport, Rhode Island. And Newport is where Mordecai Myers was born in 1776. He was the mm-hmm. youngest of nine children. Mm. And um, did he stay in Newport? He came back to New York, did, did he not? Yeah. Uh, the Myers family uh, stayed in Newport. Uh, they were there from about 1760 or 61 until the American Revolution. And at that point, uh, Newport changed hands a couple of times between the British and the Americans. When the Americans arrived to take occupation of Newport, um, Mordecai Myers' mother, who was by this time widowed, Mordecai Myers never knew his father. He died about six months after Mordecai was born. The mother and the two older sons decided to um, sign up to be loyalists, and so they were loyalists during the American Revolution. And then when New York City became occupied by the British, uh, they decided to go to New York City, and they were there from 1776 until the end of the war. Huh. So they were on the other side, but they stayed. I mean, they didn't try to go to Canada or anything like that? Well, as a matter of fact, when the end of the war came, the family was concerned that there would be reprisals on the part of the winning side toward loyalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some, uh, there's some evidence that some of that took place against former loyalists. Most were able to kind of assimilate anonymously back into society. 
But when the British offered free land in Nova Scotia, the Myers went along with what became 50 to 60,000 people who made a, a, an exodus to uh, Nova Scotia. And when Nova Scotia was split in 1784 into Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, the Myers family ended up in New Brunswick. Hmm. So Mordecai's up there in New Brunswick. He is. And he writes about it as very pleasant years of his life, but I suspect they were very unpleasant from everything uh, that I've seen about the, uh, the, uh, the loyalists who settled there, at least the ones that didn't have any wealth or position. Uh, there's a series of 15 or 16 petitions that I obtained from the archives there uh, by his mother, Rachel Myers, or at least someone writing on her behalf, and um, continuing to ask for uh, land that was not uh, in a floodplain or land that would be fertile. I think they were trying to settle somewhere on the in the St. John River Valley. And they did finally settle in Gagetown, uh, but after four years, from 1783 to 87, they were really not able to make a go of it. Uh, I suspect that uh, because they were urbanites and didn't really uh, have, like I said, any of the connections, they simply were not able to survive in the Canadian wilderness. And so in 1787, they returned to New York. And by this time, uh, young Mordecai is about 13 years old. And um, he is on his way to becoming the person who later became the politician and, uh, and military individual. And going back to New York, uh, they could kind of fit in, or is that even though they were loyalists? Yeah, uh, they were welcomed back into the Jewish community there. Most of the Jews in New York uh, went to the um, went to the Whig side, the rebel side. But there was a handful of uh, of individuals who kind of kept things running at the synagogue there, which is uh, Sharit Israel, and uh, they were welcomed back into the community. The community was only about 250 or 300 people, and my impression from some of the correspondence I've seen from all the parties there was that they kind of let let live you know they they put their mm -hmm. political uh differences behind them and they became a uh, a unified community again and Boy, during... you, you put in uh, quite a bit of work uh, researching this story neil yet when um mordecai by now has grown up let's say or he's growing up mm -hmm. what, what does he pursue for a line of work well a number of things uh when he became um, 21 years old he became a freemason he got into the, the brokerage business. He became a merchant. Um, and he also joined the local militia. And from that, he was able to get, through some of his contacts, a commission in the regular army. Um, when he was in his teens, he learned with a large group of other young men about local politics from Aaron Burr, who was building a political machine. Uh. And um, he writes about this extensively in his uh, in his reminiscences. And... Um, so when the War of 1812 broke out, he found himself captain of the 13th U.S. Infantry. Now, maybe before we go into the war story, uh, just a word on the Freemasons. Uh, I was interested in reading, I'd never seen this before in the material on your book, that it was a big deal that Jews could become Masons in America. Apparently that wasn't the case in Europe. That's correct. Um, European... Um, uh, lodges would not allow Jews to uh, to enter, and uh, they had been allowed to enter here in the colonies from a very, very uh, early time. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's lodge in Philadelphia uh, welcomed Jews into their lodge, so there were quite a few lodges here that were 
either welcoming Jews, and in a couple of cases they were able to form their own lodges, but most wanted to become Masons because, of course, it became a network for them for mercantile pursuits and also for socialization, sure. which yeah. they were not allowed, not allowed to do in Europe. Well, already quite a remarkable story. This young man from a, a loyalist family ends up serving in the United States Army as a, as a captain, yeah. and uh, and then he he fights in the War of eighteen twelve. That's correct. Um, he was sent. Uh, he he participated in quite a few uh, skirmishes and battles, but the one that really changed his life was on November eleventh, eighteen thirteen. It's sometimes referred to as the Battle of Chrysler's Field or Chrysler's Farm. It was fought on the property of a, a farmer who lived right on the St. Lawrence, uh, John Chrysler. And Myers was leading his company of 86 men with his sword drawn out onto this uh, muddy field and didn't realize at first that he had been struck by a musket ball from a British brown, brown best in his left arm, and he kept walking. He became delirious from the shock and loss of blood. He turned around and started walking accidentally toward the British lines. He was attempting to get back to the American lines and finally collapsed. He had a servant whose name we only know as, as Williams, who hoisted him on the back of a horse and was able to get him back on a flatboat during the retreat that was led by General James Wilkinson. And uh, from there, they were taken to uh, what is now Constable, New York. Um, until recently, not very many people paid much attention to Constable New York, but that's where they captured uh, one of the two men who escaped from Dannemora. Is that right? Constable New York. And um, there he um, had the bullet removed, but he also had removed 30 pieces of bone from his left shoulder. The doctor who was there, Dr. Alban Mann, was uh, able to allow him to keep the arm. He was not able to use the arm for the rest of his life. And I always thought from the descriptions of his wound, from his medical records from the Library of Congress, that it was a wound similar to, similar to that of Senator Robert Dole. Um, oh. While he was convalescing at Mann's house, he uh, was nursed by uh, Mann's niece, Charlotte Bailey, from the prominent uh, Bailey family of Plattsburgh. They were also related to the Platts. And um, it took him about four months to convalesce, and then uh, he and Charlotte were married. He was 39 at the time, and she was 17. Mm -hmm. And she's the Episcopalian. That's correct. Okay. Now, back to the, the Battle of Chrysler's Field. I don't know much about the War of 1812, but and I was looking up a little bit about this battle. Apparently, a big loss for the Americans, was it not? Yes, it was. And the ironic thing is the Americans outnumbered the other side by about four to one. Uh, but General Wilkinson was spending the time on his flatboat drinking laudanum. I guess he was, uh, he was ill, and he kept writing out orders that didn't make any sense, and none of the uh, officers under him were really sure as to what to do and what direction to go in. And while they were coming down the St. Lawrence in their 300 uh, flatboats, they were being fired at by British troops, Canadian troops, and their Native American allies. So by the time they were forced to go ashore at Chrysler's farm, they were not in very good shape. Um, and morale was very, very low. Mm. So it was seen as a, really a defeat uh, for the Americans. Neil Yetwin is uh, with us. He's talking about his book uh, titled To My Son, The Life and War Remembrances of Captain Mordecai Myers, 13th United States Infantry, from 1812 to uh, 1815. 
after this wound and uh, meeting the woman who will become his wife, uh, does that, uh, I mean, does the Battle of Chrysler's Field end his combat experiences? It ended his combat experiences, and I've always suspected had he not been wounded, I think he would have preferred remaining in the military because he, he really enjoyed the military life. Uh, but he was uh, compelled to leave. He did get a pension, a uh, three-quarters disability pension of $15 a month. And um, he went back to New York City, reestablished himself as a broker, an auctioneer, and merchant. He began to invest in lands out west, um, new territories. And uh, in time, he and his wife, Charlotte, uh, became the parents of 10 children. Uh, in 1828, because he was by this time a recognized war hero, at least you know in, in New York City and, and in parts of New York State, mm-hmm. uh, he was approached by the uh, Tammany Society to run for a spot in the New York State Legislature. And he won in 1828. He would serve six one-year terms, and he was the first, uh, the first Jew to serve in the New York State Legislature. Really? And uh, he wrote to my son, right? I mean, he wrote the account that you have in your book was something he wrote to one of his children? He did. In 1853, between his couple of terms as mayor, his son Theodorus, who was a, a collector of Americana and, and, and documents, uh, had been trying for years to get him to write uh, an autobiography or a memoir, and he didn't do it whether he was reluctant to do it or whether he just didn't feel he had the time or the inclination, but he finally did. And so it's in the form of either one very long letter or it might have been a series of letters that were later kind of connected by uh, a granddaughter who put these together. And even though he wrote them in 1853 to his son, they weren't published privately until uh, 1905. And there were only a hundred... Yeah, there were only 100 copies published, and there, there are only 11 known to survive. Well, um, and there's a picture of him. He looks like a very handsome man. Mm-hmm. He, um, that picture was, um, that portrait was done by John Wesley Jarvis, uh, who was responsible for quite a few portraits of famous Americans, including the one of Andrew Jackson that's on the $20 bill. But uh, Myers uh, was serving as a captain in the New York City militia before he got into the regular army, and one of the people serving under him was John Wesley Jarvis. And uh, they believe in 1810, uh, Jarvis painted this portrait of Mordecai Myers, and that original is in the uh, Toledo Museum of Art. Fascinating stuff. But um, last I remember the thread of the story, after the War of 1812, He's down in New York City or the New York City area. Uh, again, um, we know what happened there. And again, why did he come to Schenectady? And I think he was, what, 75 when he That's came to correct. Schenectady. Well, after he, um, after he finished his final term in the legislature, 1834, he decided to retire. And he took his family to Kinderhook, New York, uh, probably for a couple of reasons. Not only because of the beautiful home he moved into, but because he was living right down the road from Martin Van Buren. Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to live closest to many of the people uh, who helped him through uh, Van Buren's political machine, which was called the Albany Regency. Uh, and even though he wasn't very politically active at the time, he became the second, or they called it president, but he was the second mayor of Kinderhook in 1839. And uh, he and his family lived a very idyllic life there um, until the economy began a downturn. 
uh, Andrew Jackson passed what was called the Species Circular. It made it impossible to purchase land unless you had gold and a number of other, uh, number of other pieces of legislation. And it turned out that uh, Myers, while he didn't go bankrupt, ended up losing quite a lot of money, uh, $20,000. He was forced to sell the house in Kinderhook, which is still there. It's called the Vanderpool House. Uh, it's run by the Columbia County Historical Society. And um, moved back for a time to New York City. Uh, daughter uh, Maria passed away at the age of 19. And then Mordecai Meyer's wife, Charlotte, died of consumption, tuberculosis, uh, in 1848. And it was at that point he left New York City and came to Schenectady. Hmm. And, uh, Why Schenectady? Here, well, he went to Schenectady because he was already familiar with a number of people who were leading lights in Schenectady, some of whom had served in the legislature or had connections to the legislature. And, uh, and also, uh, he had um, passed an engrossed bill chartering the Schenectady Savings Bank. So he did have people here who knew and respected him. And um, because he was a, an ardent Democrat all of his life, uh, they put him up for um, an election, and he won the election in 1851. For, for mayor? For mayor, that's right. correct. Right, right, I mean, uh, right after moving there, right? Uh, just about, yeah, about two and a half years after he moved here. Wow. So that's the work that he did there. Was that government job or did he do other things uh, well, making I, a living or maybe time, not? By that time, uh, he had recouped, if not all of, but some of his, uh, I won't call it a fortune, but he was able to live on that. And he did have his disability pension. Uh, he did have some property in Manhattan that he was collecting rents on that he didn't, he wasn't forced to sell when he was having his uh, uh, financial difficulties. So he was able to, to make ends meet, and he lived quite comfortably here. He first lived in the Carly House, a hotel, and then eventually he moved, he purchased the house, which is, if you face the Van Dyke restaurant, it's mm -hmm. the house that's to the left of that. It's the, one of the only houses in the stockade that has a front yard. There's uh, The structure to the right is slightly smaller than the one to the left. He lived in the one to the left, which is huh. privately owned now. And um, and so he lived there until uh, until the end of his life. And when was that? When did he die? He died in uh, 1871, about six months shy of the age of 96. My which is, goodness. Which is astounding, not just for those days, but considering everything that he had experienced in his life, the privations in the Canadian wilderness and the war wound and um, a myriad of other illnesses that he went through. So, And he served how many terms or one-year terms as mayor? He served a one-year term in 1851. Then there was a break. There were two other mayors who served in between in 52 and 53. And then he was recruited again and served in 1854. And for both those terms, it was just business as usual, getting streets paved and getting some of the, uh, the hogs and horses and cows out of the streets, etc., and hiring police officers. Uh, but in 1854, uh, the governor of New York started a free school system, and Mordecai Myers decided to resign as mayor of Schenectady rather than oversee the establishment of a free school system here in Schenectady, the very system that I ended up working for for 32 years. He yes, well, why did he oppose it? He opposed it because in his statement in the, uh, the, council, the Common Council Minutes, he said that this would impose an irrevocable tax for all eternity. He almost put it in biblical terms. And uh, 
he's right. <laughs> School yes, tax is true. Here. And, and in other places, of course, are always with us. Um, but um, he opposed that, and he much preferred, I think, um, private there were a lot of little private schools in people's homes and there were lyceums here in Schenectady. I think he much preferred that than having a, a tax to set up uh, public schools. So and he resigned and um, the president of the common council took over and then other mayors came after him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in uh, 1863, excuse me, 1861, he put his name out for, uh, to run for Congress at the age of 84 and then, for some inexplicable reason, pulled his name out of the running. I think it was probably his age, health reasons. Maybe his family was was trying to tell him, you know, you've you've had a good run. Leave it at that. Mm. And so uh, he simply enjoyed living in Schenectady. His surviving children and their grandchildren came to visit. There's some correspondence. Um, one of his sons, uh, Algernon Sidney Myers. Uh, married a young woman named Caroline Chapel. They had a daughter who married uh, a professor at Union College, R.T.S. Lowell I, and his great-grandson was the Pulitzer Prize-winning poet, Robert Lowell. Really? And so Mordecai Myers is the seventh-generation great-grandfather of the poet Robert Lowell. Are there still descendants of Myers living in Schenectady? Uh, not in Schenectady, but as close as, uh, as Chatham and Kinderhook. And hmm. I've, I've been in touch with them, and uh, they do have uh, family papers. They have one of the copies of the portrait that's in Toledo. There were two copies made. And one of those copies was made by Samuel Sexton of Schenectady, who did the famous portrait of the Schenectady Massacre. Hmm. And you've got this uh, a book that you've, you've written to my son um, is one thing, but you, you want to... Uh, write a full-scale biography of, of Myers. Could you yes. tell us about that? Well, I have uh, a draft of, of that, and um, I think probably sometime in the next six months I'm going to just send out some letters to see if there's any interest uh, in Myers by publishers. Uh, they may see him as a, a, a just a, a local person of interest, uh, which is fine, or just New York State interest, but in many ways, because of the firsts involved in his life, uh, the first Jew in the New York State legislature, uh, the first and I believe the only Jewish mayor of Schenectady for two terms, the only Jewish mayor of Kinderhook, the fact that he was a um, uh, one of only 44 soldiers who fought, Jewish soldiers who fought in the War of 1812, and he was an officer, uh, makes him somewhat unique to say nothing of the length of his of his life 90 almost 96 years yes and living in all those places and you said toward the end of his life he was uh, what uh, kind of rediscovering his jewish roots or maybe taking it more seriously than he had well um uh, by that time he had been widowed for quite a long time and uh he was getting along with his children and it was public knowledge that he was jewish in his obituary and in some of the uh, local papers there are references to uh, despite the fact that his religion is so much different than those around him he is much beloved and respected etc cetera, etc cetera. so he never tried to hide it uh, he never converted to Christianity uh, he simply allowed for his wife to raise their children as Episcopalians uh, there's no evidence that anyone else in his wife's family had any uh, issues with that whatsoever and I tend to think that he was so devoted to the idea of 
some of the ideals of Freemasonry, the idea of uh, universal uh, belief in a deity, despite what your religion or ethnicity was, uh, his belief in the American Republic. He boasted to a local reporter uh, in the uh, Disconnected Reflector that he had voted proudly in 75 elections. He called himself a Jeffersonian. Hmm. And so and I think... I'm sorry, Neil, but we're just about uh, out yeah. of time. I just want to get out the title again. To my son, The Life and War Remembrances of Captain Mordecai Myers. And is the book available locally or just give us a sense of that? The book is available at, at least at a couple of places that, that I know of. One is uh, The Book Hound in Amsterdam. There are copies at um, Hammer Mountain Books in Schenectady uh, on Union Street. I don't know if there are any more copies at the open door. Okay. But that's one place they could be. Well, Neil, yet when it's been a pleasure, thank you very much for joining us. This is The Historians. I'm Bob Cudmore.